Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues. Is Donald Trump really a Democrat in disguise? Is Ted Cruz a natural born citizen? Are Rubio, Carson, and Bush even conservatives? We interview Dr. Alan Keyes right now. Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps. God bless you in Jesus' name. My name is Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, Dr. Chaps, and you're watching PIJN News. On this show, we like to report the news, discern the spirits, and pray the scriptures in Jesus' name. But today we have a special treat for you. Live in the studio, I am joined by my longtime friend, Dr. Alan Keyes, former Ronald Reagan ambassador to the United Nations, Assistant Secretary of State, Harvard PhD. Welcome, Dr. Keyes, to the program. Good to be with you. Thank you. So we've had you on our show before. This is a, a high privilege for me to have you live in the studio here in Colorado Springs. And you've been traveling the country. You ran for president back in 96. I was your campaign chaplain in 2008 when you ran again. I'm just so privileged to be able to introduce you again to our Christian audience. Well, I'm glad to be here and always glad to have an opportunity to share some ideas with you. So you've run for president and you were a Republican, but I think now you're more independent. You've been uh, discouraged by a lot of things happening in the Republican party. Particularly, let's talk about presidential politics. We're gonna jump right into some of the personalities. Donald Trump, what is your thought? Well, I think unfortunately Donald Trump represents the truth about the present system, uh, which is that we don't have a two-party system. We have one party. Uh, and it is controlled now by certain elitist elements that are anti-constitutional, that despise God's authority, uh, and that live their lives without regard for the basic premises of the U.S. Constitution, and Trump represents them. Uh, and he's now come forward to exploit what has been the Republican refusal to represent the grassroots on issues like immigration. And even though he doesn't really believe what he's saying, Trump is now trying to grandstand on those issues in order to create an opportunity. But if he wins, he will win, not because he got so much support among Republicans, but because he and the people he's working with have calculated that they can pull a national Mississippi. Remember the Mississippi where people crossed over into the Republican primary to try to determine the outcome? That's what Trump is up to. So you're talking to the, the recent primary with, when I think Thad Cochran was, right. was re-nominated, but there was a lot of crossover voters, what we used to call Reagan Democrats, but could there be Trump Democrats that help him get elected? Well, I don't think they were Reagan Democrats. I beg to differ. I think that's a false analysis. These weren't people who were attracted by Ronald Reagan. They are people who were being delegated by the people on the Democrat side to help out one of the quislings in the Republican Party. I call them a quizzling because they are the people who cooperate with Obama and the Democrats to give them everything they want. That's what's been happening during Obama's tenure. There's been no real opposition to Obama. So these aren't Reagan Democrats. Reagan Democrats were people who authentically disagreed with the Democratic Party's stances and positions. Uh, that's not what Trump is about. That's why he called Bill Clinton to find out, oh, what do I have to do to appeal to conservatives? Who is a, who, what real conservative would call Bill Clinton to ask that question? <laughs> this well, is why he talked to him. He's not a real conservative. He is a shyster. He's a con man. 
Uh, he's somebody who has made his whole life out of selling things to people on whatever basis, and that's what he's doing. Only in this case, the product proven by his entire life and career is a false product. So I think by Trump's own admission, he voted for Clinton, he voted for Obama. He's been a lifelong Democrat until when? Well, he, he kind of has gone back and forth, though. Well, let's remember, he was a businessman. He'll always tell you this. He was going to back and give money to whatever was going to serve his business interest. Now, why Americans would think you could trust to put in the White House somebody who rarely, if ever, gave a thought to the national good? I don't know. Every word he speaks has been guided by a selfish interest of his own. And in this case, that selfish interest is now an ambition for power. Uh, and, and I think it serves not only his interest, but the interest of what I call the elitist faction. The people who now think they ought to run this country without constitutional constraint. And that's the greatest danger with Trump. He talks like Barack Obama, not on given issues, but on the way he will abuse the power of the presidency. He has said, for example, to pander to people who are Second Amendment people, he says, day one I'm going to abolish all the gun-free zones in America. And everybody applauds, and I'm thinking to myself, well, no, the president doesn't have the power to do that. The very people who will stand on the Second Amendment and say we ought to respect the Constitution are then applauding this man when he says he's going to abuse the power of the presidency, just like Obama did, in a way that pleases them but destroys the authority of federalism, which is what we've been fighting for as conservatives for I don't know how long, to revive the Tenth Amendment not let them destroy it. Uh, and, and so he, he shows a, an altogether all shows a willingness to be the same kind of dictator. He's just gonna destroy the Constitution pleasing a different group of people. But the real aim, don't fool yourselves, the real aim has nothing to do with the particular issues involved. Because once the Constitution's authority has been destroyed, the elitists are going to be able to do whatever they please. They have enough money and power to run roughshod over the rest of us. So, of course, we support Second Amendment rights. We are against gun-free zones, but you're saying something deeper, that don't trust a person who's going to issue these executive orders and subvert the Constitution, the separation of powers, the due process, to rule by dictatorial fiat. That's right. And you think Trump could be that kind of guy? It's not it could be. He is. He promised to do this. He has said it explicitly. He also, for example, said that he's going to, day one, day one, uh, every convicted cop killer is going to get the death penalty. Now, come on, y'all. If he says day one he's going to write an order so that every convicted cop killer gets the death penalty, you have to ask, well, what happened to state laws? You do realize that, generally speaking, the question of capital punishment is a reserved power of the states in this country. The criminal law is dealt with by our state governments. The president doesn't have the right to just write an executive order ignoring the constitutional uh, uh, division that is, that is clearly stated in the Tenth Amendment, so that only explicitly delegated powers and the power to write an executive order that abolishes, uh, uh, or that applies in this case, the, uh, the death penalty is no more in the Constitution than the power to write an executive order abolishing the ownership of, of, of guns. This is, this is the problem. People are looking at the issue and re not realizing you're being manipulated so that they can use your passion for a given issue to get you to do what they really want done, which is to destroy the Constitution. We're going to take a short break, but I do have that question. If, let's say, President Trump is in the Oval Office and these lawyers come to him and say, you can't sign that executive order because it's unconstitutional, I wonder if he would have enough self-restraint or if he would sign it anyway.
Of course he would. He'll do it because the, the, the response to that is, Obama did it, and the people want me to do this, and therefore why should my people be disappointed when Obama's people were able to get their way? The Constitution doesn't matter as much as what the people want, and that's the very kind of man he's talking like. Right if now. that's true, then we've truly lost the Constitutional Republic. We'll take a short break. When we come back, is Ted Cruz a natural-born citizen? This is PIJN News, defending your religious freedom. Dr. Chaps will be right back. Are you pro-life? Do you believe that abortion kills innocent children? If so, I want you to take action today and sign a petition at PrayInJesusName.org. Here's three petitions we need you to sign. The number one is to stop Planned Parenthood from getting your taxpayer dollars. Did you know they've received now $487 million in your taxpayer dollars? I don't think that's right. They use that money to facilitate 329,445 abortions, not really to pay for adoption or mammograms, but just to kill innocent children. Sign a petition today at PrayInJesusName.org. Here's number two petition we want you to sign, and that's to defund Obamacare. This bad healthcare law is now forcing Christian employers to pay for contraception, sterilization, and abortion pills free of charge for all their employees, or the Christian employer has to pay a $100 fine per day per employee. That's gonna bankrupt our friends like the Hobby Lobby Corporation, Christian business owners, and even Catholic hospitals now are being forced to pay for abortions. The Obama administration is now promoting the Plan B abortion pill over the counter for children as young as seven years old. Here's petition number three we need you to sign at PrayInJesusName.org to help pass Senate Bill 583, the Life Begins at Conception Act. This personhood bill, introduced by my friend, Senator Rand Paul, can actually defend life and help overturn Roe versus Wade. Take action today. I know you care about the unborn, but please sign a petition today at PrayInJesusName.org. We will fax that petition free of charge to your congressman. Sign a petition at PrayInJesusName.org. Take action today if you're pro-life. Empowering you, the grassroots activist. Here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps. We're talking presidential politics with the former presidential candidate himself, Dr. Alan Keyes. Welcome back, sir, to the program. Good to be with you. So you ran for state, uh, excuse me, United States Senate in Illinois at one time against Barack Obama when he was running for U.S. Senate. Right. And you never brought up, or maybe you did, the, the birth certificate issue, which was a big thing, and now it's re-emerging in the debate about Ted Cruz. He was born in Canada, but his mother was an American citizen. He's a natural born citizen, yes or no? Well, yes, I, I think Ted Cruz is a natural born citizen, and most of the arguments that are being made against citizen, the natural born citizenship in Ted Cruz's case are being made on the basis that uh, uh, according to this or that authority, a lot of them cite Vattel, a French uh, uh, ex a proponent or ex expositor of natural law uh, several hundred years ago and uh, all, all the way up to a uh, few things that they can kind of try to glom onto since then. In order to make the case that both parents have to be citizens, in order for you to get citizenship through the blood, Jus sanguinis, right? They, they, they claim. That argument was not the argument of our founders. 
it was not the argument of, for instance, John Locke, the philosopher they relied on in their articulation of unalienable rights God endowed. Um, the, uh, John Locke wrote uh, a, a chapter in his book, The Second Treatise, that explicitly argues for equal parental authority, right? So that when it comes to, the, he does it in the context of honor thy father and thy mother and the commandment of God. And he says, when it comes to that commandment, the two parents are equally entitled to the respect that their offspring should give them. Uh, and that should be given to the authority that they derive essentially from God. And I think that's correct. And it's actually confirmed, isn't it, by our now more explicit and clear understanding of what's going on in procreation. Because we know that when conception occurs, what is happening? The information of the mother and the information of the father, the chromosomes that contain that information, the two nucleuses that represent or contain that, they come together, the walls dissolve, as it were, and the chromosomes can then mingle. And the information that goes on to the child comes from both parents. And whether or not a given trait is going to be dominant, recessive, all these other things that have been characteristic, that's kind of a, 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 kind of a, a lottery of nature, right, in, in terms of the outcome. And it doesn't, in any given case, give predominance to the male or the female. So the natural law does not, in fact, say that you have to follow, have both parents to get a trait, or that the trait of citizenship should naturally go with the father, because you're reasoning by analogy, right? I mean, citizenship right. is not a natural thing. Citizenship depends upon something, a government, a state, uh, and boundaries that are all of them basically established by human decision. So what the Constitution is requiring is that we reason by analogy with the way nature does things in order to do things equitably according to God's will for our nature. And in this particular case, that would mean that if the mother is a citizen, uh, you can transmit. And by the way, I was one of the people who was trying to get folks to look at Barack Obama's situation seriously. And I explained to people, I have not come to a conclusion about whether he was eligible, ineligible, because I think both the facts and the arguments you made from the Constitution were inconclusive in his case for various reasons. But it should be examined carefully and systematically so that you could get at the truth. Uh, and when I wrote a piece on my blog about it, I made it clear that the strongest argument I saw in his favor was the argument that his mother was a citizen, and that by use sanguinis, by right of blood, uh, he was therefore uh, uh, somebody who could obtain from her the trait of citizenship. And I think that's true of Ted Cruz as well, but in his case, there are no questions about the facts. So if the Founding Fathers put that in the Constitution, you have to be a natural born citizen to be President of the United States, it's one of the eligibility criteria. You're saying they used a natural law argument and therefore, at least under the facts that we have before us, both Ted Cruz and maybe even Barack Obama are eligible under that criteria. What about the 14th Amendment when it comes to immigration? Because there's this other debate about whether, and some people refer to them perhaps disparagingly as anchor babies should be granted United States citizenship if their parents were not American citizens, but they came here as a pregnant woman. Well, that, I'm sorry, is a question that can be decided on a prudential basis by countries for themselves. Most countries in the world reject that understanding. They don't allow you to become a citizen by right of the soil, as the Latin phrase means, you solely. They don't. Uh, our court, not our legislature, but our court has construed the 14th Amendment in a way 
that they say uh, uh, gives rise to this right uh, by, by reason of birth. Uh, but it is not a natural law case. And, uh, that's not a question of natural law. I mean, what's natural about where our boundaries are drawn? Nature didn't do that. Sometimes the boundary will follow rivers and so forth and so on, but that was a choice that was made by human beings and that was then ratified by agreement among countries. So that is part of the law of nations and the practice of nations, how boundaries are determined. So the natural law issue doesn't enter into that. Uh, it's one of my great disappointments, by the way, that you know that fundamental to our legal profession right now, and this has a bearing on practically every issue we deal with, is the question of whether our Constitution is in fact dependent on the natural law. And I think that the natural born citizen requirement proves it beyond a doubt. Consider what we're talking about. The executive power. Can a government do anything without an executive? No. no. So a prerequisite for putting somebody in a position for our national government to do anything, right? Because you got to have a chief executive. Uh, he's the one in whom the executive power is vested. Before you can do that, you have to make a judgment according to the natural law. How can these lawyers argue that the natural law is irrelevant to our Constitution when we wouldn't be able to have a president if we don't make a judgment about whether, what the natural law implies? So the fact that that criterion is imposed means that like the founding itself, because from the Declaration through everything they argued, including Thomas Paine, the big supposed left-wing radical, and yet he argued from God-endowed natural rights. That's, right. That's how he established the rights of man. And, and so I would argue that the most important thing that Ted Cruz or somebody could do would be to reintroduce Americans to the fact that the Constitution's a natural law argument. Somebody needs to explain to me, one of his supporters, because I don't necessarily support one of his supporters needs to explain to me why he won't make this argument. When he does defend himself, he tries to use positive law, this or that decision that's been made. But the Constitution requires that the judgment be made according to the natural standard. That's why the word natural is there. So positive law, even the law whereby Barack Obama's mother, if he was born in Kenya, she was not of age, according to the law in 1961, was it, mm -hmm. for, for her to transmit citizenship under positive law. But the natural-born citizenship standard is not a question of positive law. Positive means passed by a human legislature, right? So in that case, even, one could have rejected the notion that where she was was more important than who she was as an American citizen. So the Constitution is... is founded not in positive law, which could be determined by Supreme Court justices, we're against judicial supremacy, but by natural law and the laws of nature's God. Well, uh, well, the whole basis. What is an unalienable right, for instance? In other words, the fact that we govern ourselves, that we have elections and we get to choose who the legislators will be and who the president will be and so forth, what gives us that right? What gives the people? You realize that down through all the ages of mankind, there was no acknowledgement that the people at large, what did they know? Did they have superior abilities? No. Did they have superior intelligence and, and skill in all of this? No, not necessarily. A matter of fact, you could make the argument that in many ways the people are unfit to govern. And that's what a lot of the philosophers did all down through the ages. Why did, did that change in America? Because of the claim that we had on alienable rights rights that come to us because of the way God made us. That's our nature. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, Marco Rubio, Ben Carson, and Jeb Bush, are any of them really conservative? Giving you a megaphone in Washington, D.C. Dr. Chaps will be right back. How is your marriage doing? I want to tell you about an exciting new four-part video DVD Bible study series 
on God's plan for marriage. In this video series, we team up with marriage and family ministry expert, Vince Dacchioli. There are a lot of things that get in the way of our ability to have a healthy marriage. But the way God intended it, He always wanted us to see His view of our relationship together. So everything we do when we talk about marriage, or whether we're talking to men, or whether we're talking to pastors and leaders, it all centers around this idea of vision. It's very important that we understand who God is and our relationship with Him is right in order for us to be able to live out really and truly Ephesians. And that also informs our role as men, how to love our wives. We can't really exactly. love them unless we understand the love of God. Exactly. So if you just think about love, you, we tend to think that love is an emotion. It's more uh, something that I feel, whereas the true definition of love, the way Jesus intended it, is, is not just an emotion, but it's, it's, a, it's charity, it's what I do. You know, to the degree that I am able to see my wife or my spouse through his eyes, that determines everything in my relationship. Yeah. And we go through the scriptures in four different parts. Part one is God's design for man and woman. Part two is godly roles for husband and wife. Three is sex and intimacy within godly marriage. And also God's plan for divorce. You wanna have this important four-part video series available for a suggested donation of $30 if you call our toll-free prayer line at 866-Obey-God. Again, that's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Or visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org. You too can have a godly marriage. He is the intersection of church and state. Here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps. We have just five minutes left, another segment with Dr. Ellen Keyes. Sir, you've been watching the presidential race, of course, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, for example, Marco Rubio, even Governor Jeb Bush. They're running as Republicans and claiming to be conservatives. What do you think? Well, frankly, I, I, I don't think in the sense that I believe is most profound that any of the candidates in the Republican field are conservatives. Uh, I often ask people, what, well, conservative means you're conserving something, right? Conserving means that you're trying to preserve it with integrity. What's the one thing we're supposed to preserve with integrity in this country? It's the, the Constitution. The Constitution. That's what all our officials, even state officials, are sworn to uphold the Constitution. And what is the Constitution? Now I know, as I was saying a minute ago in the last segment, a lot of these lawyers will tell you the Constitution is not a natural law, it has nothing to do with the laws of nature and nature's God, nothing to do with the Declaration of Independence and unalienable rights. That's a lie. And the natural born citizen issue proves it. We cannot with integrity according to the Constitution seat someone in the Oval Office until we examine the question of whether they are, by analogy with the natural law, right, citizens of the United States. And so you have to think through what the natural law means, what it implies. Now, what is the natural law? The natural law is quite simply the law of God by which we are made to be human beings. The things that he put into us, like, uh, for instance, conscience, the, the sense of right and wrong. Well, the, the notion that the founder shared was that's inscribed in our nature by God. That is written as with a sunbeam. That's what Alexander Hamilton said with one of his, in one of his writings. Written as with a sunbeam on the very hearts of mankind are the, the ideas and, and, and rules that govern right and wrong, justice and injustice. And when you commit yourself to do what's right, you have the freedom to do what you're doing. 
That's where the word right gets its meaning of freedom. Because if you're doing what's right according to God, you have the freedom. Who can challenge God's authority and get in your way? Nobody has the right to do that. No government has the authority to do that. So do any of the candidates on the Republican side subscribe to the natural law? That's why I was raising it with Ted Cruz. He refuses to make the argument. None of them argue consistently, as our founders did, from the premises of the Declaration of Independence, that we are all created equal and endowed by our Creator, not by human legislatures, not by human power and battle and victory and conquest, but by God and the authority of God, with that in us which allows us to discern right and wrong and choose freely to do what's right. So one example was the Supreme Court this summer in the Obergefell versus Hodges decision somehow found a constitutional right to homosexual marriage, but none of the presidential candidates are saying the Supreme Court doesn't have the authority to make that decision. Uh, are they, is there, a, where do rights really come from? Well, step number one, I'll, I'll correct you slightly, uh, Jeff, because uh, Mike Huckabee has actually made that argument. He has made the argument that the Supreme Court decision goes beyond the authority of the court uh, because uh, the, the court cannot fabricate a right that trumps the right of people to respect God's will for marriage. Right? And I think that's a correct position. Uh, unfortunately, when you look at economic issues and other things, he turns, it turns out that uh, Mike Huckabee has acted like a socialist statist, one of these people who believes that you do things by expanding government. I don't see how that's compatible with respect for conservative principles, but we'll leave that aside. The, the point that I'm making, though, here is, is that he has taken that stand, but you're right. There's an amendment in the Constitution. I wish people would read it, the Ninth Amendment. The Ninth Amendment says quite simply that the enumeration of rights in the Constitution, what's in the Bill of Rights and all that, um, shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And that phrase, others retained by the people, go to the writings of the founders. And the notion of retained rights, that goes to a number of things. But in, in the most important one is that when you delegate certain powers and authority to government, that doesn't mean you give up the rights that come to you from God. You retain those rights at all times. We have just and 30 seconds left. Rights cannot be wrongs. They, they have, they, because they come from God, they have to be a right to do something that is right. That's right. The exercise of right depends on choosing to act in a way that conforms with the standard of right. And the standard of right, according to our declaration, is God's will for our nature. God's will for what is just when human beings are acting toward one another. And the founders, by the way, were quite explicit about accepting this. Even the most radical left wing of the founders, Thomas Paine, he accepted the notion of God endowed unalienable rights and defended the idea that, of the authority of creation. We'll have more on this tomorrow. Another episode tomorrow with Dr. Ellen Keyes. Please visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org or call our prayer line 866-Obey-God. We'll see you next time. Chaplain Klingenschmidt is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy who earned his Ph.D. in theology from Regent University. As a former Navy chaplain, by taking a public stand for freedom of speech and religious expression, and by sacrificing his own 16-year career and million-dollar pension, he was vindicated by the U.S. Congress, who changed the law and restored freedom for military chaplains to pray in Jesus' name. Dr. Chaps not only defended the Constitution, but his petitions have helped change the law in 10 states, restoring freedom to pray in Jesus' name.
Dr. Chaps needs your financial support to stay on the air. Would you please send your best donation today? Please visit PrayInJesusName.org to donate online. Or you can mail a check to Pray In Jesus Name Ministries, Post Office Box 77077, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80970. You can also call us toll free right now at 866-Obey-God. That's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Please sign up for our free emails at PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org.